0: Welcome back to Happy Brain Podcast. Now here's your host, Dr. Robert Olson.
1: I've come to the realization that um, anything that comes out of anybody's mouth is an opinion. And everybody thinks they're right. So I don't know what to do with that sometimes because uh, it lends itself to... um, disconnection with a lot of people and it also allows for connection when we agree with somebody we seemingly are better able to connect but when we think somebody's wrong then it impedes connection and I think this is germane because so many people are at odds with each other based on their opinions because their opinions are wrong you know and I think it's important to differentiate that that we have to really just consider you know what other people are saying if we don't agree with it um i think it's interesting when we just get so frustrated and mad because we think they're wrong
0: i mean overall this is definitely a a very relevant topic i think for the current climate the way the world is and the way that conversations that I notice conversations even within my life are, and there's a lot of education about inclusion and diversity. And we talk about some of these things about, you know, the sensitivities and language and talking about an opinion specifically. I th- They are so flexible. I think opinions really do change. Um, and I, I think for some people, not so much. But for myself, at least, they they do change and evolve over time and sometimes as quickly as the conversation is moving. One thing that I notice for myself is that I get really emotionally, emotional, I get an emotional response when people have an opinion that not only that I don't agree with, but like, let's use the example of an opinion about you. If somebody has an opinion about about something that you're doing or their opinion on a mindset that you have that is a triggering topic. I've been really practicing specifically with this where I rather than getting like I need to defend or like educate people, I just take the stance that acknowledge and then let them know that they are you are entitled to your opinion. <laughs> and it is so freeing. Once I say that, I feel like I'm being far more respectful because it is true. They are they are entitled to their opinion. And that that's coming from their perspective, the way that they see whatever it is in the world, even a, a band, if they don't like the band, you know, these kind of things, I think it it definitely does create divides but I don't think it has to be that way. I think it can be an opportunity to have really deep, meaningful conversations, but how can you engage in these conversations if you're feeling triggered or defensive?
1: Yeah, you said the word triggered and that's exactly what I was thinking of because at the end of the day, you know, when our sense of self-worth is so fragile that uh, if somebody just doesn't like us, then it is uh, powerful because then we it perpetuates our own self-doubt or our placement in the herd or the community or whatever like that. And um, really, at the end of the day, I I agree with you. I think having some sort of mantra that liberates us to understand that people are entitled to their opinions. I mean, um, Voltaire said, um, and I might be paraphrasing, but uh, I may not agree with what you have to say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. And... um, Which is hard because I don't see anybody doing that lately and such like that. But it's interesting when we are triggered, when people don't like us, it really sets up this cascade sometimes of uh, this self-doubt, this self-doubt. Well, if that person doesn't like me, then oh, that must be true, you know, because it resonates in some respects. Or to discount that, then I think we have this defense mechanism to belittle the person who's saying it. Well, they don't know what they're talking about or they're stupid, or uh, look at them, they're ugly and fat or something like that. you know, to disparage them in some sort of uh, disrespectful way to discount their opinion because I think we're valuing it too much on some level. So I think liberty really is in reinforcement of that we are vital as an individual, and each of us has this uh, right to be here because we're here by default sort of thing, but it speaks to confidence. It speaks to, um, you know, working on our own baggage, our own trauma that, um, you know, can be triggered quite easily without anybody even knowing that they're triggering us.
0: I feel like sometimes we don't even know what we're being triggered from. We find ourselves responding in a heightened level to a conversation that should be quite light, but we are feeling wounded and you don't even know where exactly it's coming from. And I feel like for me, when, it, when this happens, I don't really acknowledge it until I'm revisiting the conversation in retrospect and then I'm like, oh... I obviously was bringing other things to the table in that conversation, not making the other people there aware to it. There's an opportunity for people to exercise boundaries. I've gotten to the point with, particularly my loved ones, where they feel like this is a safe space, and they know me as some being somebody who is. Uh, a confidant, but I, I have to sometimes say I'm not in a place for that. And even if it's a, a conversation that is edgy, filled with bias, sometimes I have to say I'm not in a place to talk about this. It's a hard conversation to have when you feel like you're doing something wrong in the eyes of other people. You know, there's an I do think a lot of us for the most part want to be doing right. Or I I like to think that at least. <laughs> needs to be consideration that we are all learning. We're all learning about ourselves and other people. And language, a lot of things can get lost in translation, not just the what we're saying, the way we're saying it. And I think that leaves a a big gap for people to, to hear things through the lens that they are approaching it. So if they're coming into a conversation, highly critical, highly aggravated from other situations, then that's how they're going to intake your information. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, well, that speaks to just bias in general. I think that um, um, bias is uh, informed by experience, and sometimes the experiences are traumatic, and I think word choice is important, but at the same time, I think um, short of just directly intending offense is different than somebody being offended because they are triggered by something that we said that was not meant to be offensive to the person. You know, I think these difficult conversations that we try to have, they require a lot of like patience and curiosity. And I think most of the times we don't have that, you know what I mean, because it takes time and it's just like, oh, you know, OK, can we have some sort of shortcut, which is why I think we kind of glom on to like minded people, because it's uh, more relaxed. It's easier to have conversations and we've already kind of covered this stuff either consciously or unconsciously and such. And it is interesting when people when I've experienced that myself, when somebody is offended by a word choice, when she was not intended to be offensive. It was just a very neutral word of sorts. And then being called on it that I should censor myself of that word. I mean, it speaks to almost like um, I mean, it's not even a bad word. It's it's just a common word of sorts. And, you know, I see where the person was coming from. And, um, but at the same time, the request for me to eliminate that word out of my vocabulary, uh, because this one person is triggered by it is a little, little interesting on it. Well, it's very interesting because, you know, I can take that under advisement and then just ultimately make the best decision that I can, uh, it, you know, censoring what we say based on somebody we don't even know is what we already do anyway. That's quiet, That's called polite conversation. You know, we refrain from colloquialisms or slang or cuss words and such like that until we really know who our audience is, you know, but this idea that um, having just, you know, very polite conversation and then uh, somebody being triggered by it just really sets up a situation that uh, is uncomfortable to the point where why have a conversation with that person if, I'm not going to be accepted as a person for what I'm saying when I'm not in, my intention is not to offend you.
0: That it's, it's really, I think this is a, I think that a lot of people are experiencing this hardship, and I think it definitely stands in the way of building new relationships or deepening the relationships that we already have. I mean, I've, I've been corrected many times by my friends. I actually don't mind being corrected because I like challenging conversations. I like to be educated, but I also want the other party to be as open as I am, which means that they, in my mind, they need to be willing to understand my explanation of what this word means to me, in contrast to what it might mean to you, based off your previous experiences with it. Uh, for example, you know, having a, a background in psychology or mental health, I use a lot of language that can be really offensive to some people. But to me, it's just the word that I know it to mean this. It's just a definition situation. <laughs> you know, it's not meant to be judgmental or um, unkind in any way. To me, it's just factual, and that's a challenging thing. Um, I, or even, and slang is a big one too. Being born, you know, in the 90s, it's very hard for me to get rid of some of my slang that I grew up with, specifically saying, you guys. I've felt self-conscious leaving situations, wondering, oh, I don't know how they, these people identify. I referred to them as you guys. But to me, you guys isn't a gender situation. It's not about gender. It's just, to me, it means just a group of people. So these are things, and I, it really prov- provokes a sense of self-consciousness and a lack of just feeling fluid and, and free to engage in a more vulnerable, open way.
1: Well, it leads to what we call psychological constipation, because, I mean, you know, you really don't know what to <laughs> say. Have to
0: write that down. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And, it, you know, it was a little bit when you said that your friends correct you on what you say and such like that. I think it's just, um, you know, the, that word. I I mean, I think, you know, maybe it's more precise to say that they're um, um, challenging how you say something rather than correcting you. Because who's correct? You know what I mean? Who's the ultimate authority about this? I mean, again, we turn to people who we uh, respect and and think are knowledgeable or have a lot of experience and such like that to be kind of beacons of truth, whatever truth means. You know, truth is basically everybody agrees about a particular thing and that's truth, you know. I think approaching everything with curiosity and such and how do you how do you eliminate bias? You can't. Like, I don't think you can at all except for try to mitigate it to the point where, you know, try to what, educate ourselves as much as we can, experience as many people and cultures and languages that we can, uh, before we make like blanket statements about other things, you know? I think it is helpful to have some experience about something that we're talking about. And unfortunately, I think that would mean that most of us would have nothing to talk about. Um, frankly, most people, I think, just talk about all sorts of things. I mean, the things that come into people's minds, which ends up being just chatter, and it's not well informed. It's just somebody's experience about it. And if we all just resorted to just talking about things we were absolutely sure about, then I think we would be silent like ninety-nine percent of the time, or most of us would be. I think uh, there is a subset of the population that, you know, frankly, I think thinks think everything that comes out of their mouth is wonderful, you know? So thinking of conversations like dancing, I think is helpful because then it's, um, it's based on, you know, agreed upon rules. There is a ritual to it. There's a protocol to it. Again, there's words that we can use and not use much to the same way. If we were talking to somebody who speaks a different language than us, then we kind of assume, You know, we have to assume that language in order to communicate a little more, and that has its own subset of rules and regulations and rituals and cadence and everything like that, just to get our point across. But I don't think we can really get away from bias, unfortunately. And unfortunately, our society is geared to uh, validate that bias. You know, there's clubs, there's organizations, which I think, you know, from one perspective, They're helpful because that provides a sense of community, but it also creates a sense of isolationism of sorts because we're just hanging out with people that we like to hang out with and we're not really challenging ourselves with other people's thought processes. I'm not saying that we have to hang out with people we don't like all the time, but I think we have to challenge ourselves to converse with people that don't necessarily agree with us all the time, which is hard, which is hard because who wants to go to a party with somebody who doesn't like you know what you're talking about. You know, that's uncomfortable for sure.
0: I also don't wanna hang out with a bunch of clones or people who mirror everything that I believe or think. I want to be around people who challenge these conceptions or bias that I have. You know, the majority of the bias that we that we carry with us through our life. I I suspect that they are mostly gathered um, in our younger years and then built upon. Now, can we can we rework some of these these biases that we've we've built up, even even if they are mostly unconscious, because it makes me think of like microaggressions, you know, because. Microaggressions, I don't, they're not meant to be aggressive and I catch myself doing them, uh, but I don't, I don't particularly find myself offended by them, but, you know, when I've taken like diversities trainings or any sort of lectures on being inclusive and mindful, I'm like, whoa, I, I can't ask people about this because, or I can't, I shouldn't be engaging in this kind of conversations with people I remember back at a past job, I went to um, a training and they they were talking about differences in gender and the transgender community and a, a person was speaking and they said, I'm not the spokesperson for all transgender people and you shouldn't ask people of the transgender community to educate you or provide insights. And I was just blown away, like, who am I supposed to ask? You know, or what is your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I, I think it's I, a couple of things. One, I think bias is learned for sure. Bias is learned. And I think it comes from our, you know, uh, container of origin, whatever that looks like. Um, I'm looking at the depth box for definition for bias. And it's, you know, um, there's two nouns. I mean, two versions of it. The one that we're talking about is prejudice in favor of or against one thing person or group compared with another usually in a way that's considered to be unfair um the other noun is in some sports the bias is the irregular shape given to a ball (laughs) but uh, so i think it's the former that we're talking about i mean it is um just this predilection to You know go for or against something based on the information that we have and i think the way forward is to be aware of what our biases are just be aware of where we're from i think both from a cultural perspective an individual perspective as well as a a emotional perspective and um really just mitigate or temper these kind of drop kick reflexive thoughts that we have based on limited information of the situation of the person we're talking to. I'm a little put back with, yes, I agree with, you know, we can't go up to someone who is different than us and expect them to be the spokesperson to educate us or me as an ignorant person based on whatever their experience is. And I hear that, but at the same time, who the heck are we supposed to be talking to? So I think really it's an opportunity to open up conversations with just different people of different experiences and maintain that level of curiosity. I think that's the hard work, though, because, you know, we all feel that we're right in what we think. And, you know, some people are just too sensitive and they should just get over it. Um, And, you know, in some respects, that's right, too. You know what I mean? But I think um, it's not as easy as that because that assumes that what that person's thinking is right and what the other person is wrong. Um, So I think approaching it with just curiosity rather than fear because I, I'm like you, I've become frozen. I don't know how to say something sometimes uh, because I'm trying to be respectful. So then it comes across like I'm distant, which looks disrespectful, you know. So I, I really feel engagement is much better. Engagement in the civil discourse is much better than no engagement. Uh, of course, it hits all these emotional things. And I'm really, you know, I think the... You know, the 90s were the decade of the brain, and I think we're just kind of figuring out what the brain does. But I really, really feel like the next step in evolution is um, emotional regulation for people to kind of really, truly integrate integrate their feelings and how to manage uh, feelings so it doesn't cause uh, too much difficulty with relating to other people.
0: That is a whole subject in its own. (laughs)
1: Right.
0: What I'm understanding about bias and having unreasonable conclusions that can negatively impact our community or just people that we don't know about that we're ignorant about, it would require a high level of self-awareness to start to mitigate some of these unconscious bias that we carry with us. And maybe taking accountability for the fact that you do carry these bias with you and being able to accept that, first of all, and then being able to take the next steps to actively consider how those impact your decision making or the way that you engage with people. I think that could be a, a possible, not a cure, but definitely very helpful tool.
1: Well, in the definition, it does, it does highlight prejudice. And let me do another definition. So prejudice is, according to Oxford anyway, the preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. So I think that's the answer. I mean, you know, answering that part is the answer. I mean, um, uh, use reason and experience things. So I think when it comes to people, you um, you know we do make these snap judgments based on our experience uh a lot of times i think it's for survival you know is this person going to hurt me or you know or can i trust this person or something like that but i think yes enlightenment in a lot of respects is just to recognize what are um, insufficiencies as far as knowledge base and try not to make assumptions um the one thing I think when it comes to other people is to come from a place of this is another person, and that is the common ground that I have with this person. And then everything else, all the visual cues, or all the you know things that I bring to prejudge and such like that, um, I think that's better challenged when we just acknowledge that you know this is a fellow human being who has the, the experience that they're having um so it does take a lot of patience that
0: to me sounds like a level of enlightenment i think it is
1: but it also takes time you know and who has time to get to know people real quick because we got a lot to do and there's so many people and we've got to you know feed ourselves and you know join the rat race and you know netflix and all these things that we need to be doing or think that we need to be doing and such um it just takes time and i think basically you know it's not that we're lazy or anything like that, but I think, you know, we generally take the easy way out. You know what I mean? It's easier for me to say that, Oh, you represent one of many people who have dissed me in the past. So I'm just going to lump you into that without even knowing you. Um, I think it's just, it's kind of lazy, but it's easy, you know, cause then we don't have to engage in a conversation. We don't have to challenge our own beliefs and such. But at the same time, I also don't like the, you know, the, the bias police. Well, watch what you say, be careful what you say, because I'm learning too, you know, and I think we're each responsible for our own triggers, you know, because how if, are, are you supposed to edit everything you say because you don't want to offend me, not knowing what's going to offend me, then you're not going to say anything, you know? So, I mean, in some respects, we have to take ownership of our triggers. And I think that's very, very important. Very important. It sounds a little controversial because, of course, we need to be respectful for everybody. I agree with that. But at the same time, if there is a definite trigger that causes an undue uh, an intense emotional reaction in us, we need to examine that so that the emotion that we spend on that is appropriate for the situation. If somebody just uses a word and they're not intending to hurt you and we react like I'm being hurt, like physically, emotionally, or whatever like that, then there's definitely a disconnect. There's definitely a disconnect. This may sound like kind of blame the victims of sorts, but I think it really, it is up to each of us to identify what our triggers are and protect them. You know, Or evolve so that people aren't just willy-nilly stepping on our trigger all the time.
0: Well, it, it makes me think of it's not our responsibility of how other people necessarily feel. And I remember when I was first, somebody said that to me the first time I was offended. And I, I found that so kind of just really funny that I was offended by that. Like, you're not responsible for how I feel. And then I got mad. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's funny, (laughs) you know? Um, But it's true. First of all, it is true. You, you are not, you, Dr. Olson, you're not responsible for how I feel. You know, if you, if you end up saying something to me that offends me, it ultimately is not your responsibility. My emotional response is my responsibility. However, I do think there are things to take into consideration and, you know if, if if i were in a situation where you said something to me that offended me i respect you right i i know who you are we have a relationship i would address it in a non judgmental and a non accusatory way i would come to you and say something along the lines of doctor wilson you know that that offended me in this way i'm sure it wasn't your intention but i wanted to to let you know and i think that might be a way to communicate with people where we don't become defensive, where we don't assume that there was ill intent in what was being said. I know that there's a lot of different forms of bias. I'm not fully researched on all of the different kinds or know the the latest research on this, but I am familiar with a few different types. And in terms of particularly prejudice, I'm familiar with what I I believe is called anchoring bias. And that's where where you unconsciously um, go to the first piece of information you have access to and use that to make a decision this can lead to and skewed judgment i think the lack of self awareness the lack of understanding for other people other cultures other languages not understand not understanding other people's cultures is a big deal is a huge problem and when we don't understand we can't we can't read their body language we don't understand what they mean by what they're saying. And then we bring what little information we do have to make assumptions on those things, which often leads us to unpleasant outcomes. I think taking that into consideration, if you're, if you're bringing that self-awareness to a conversation where there are a lot of unknowns, it can open you up to being a lot more receptive, asking a lot more questions in a way that's very authentic and vul- vulnerable which might make the other party more receptive as well. This is a hard thing to have because vulnerability is challenging in general and who wants to get all deep and vulnerable with people we don't know? And then there's also the other compounded layer of triggers. So I do think it's challenging, but if you're going to save space, I hope that your circle can support you in deepening and unraveling and maybe rewriting some of the biases that you might carry with you because i do think it's built upon a lot of inexperience and ignorance and that's a hard thing to acknowledge to consider or mentally acknowledge that you are ignorant in things doesn't feel nice really but it's true i know that i'm i'm ignorant about a lot of things <laughs> especially you know when it comes to you know people or cultures you know different belief systems different genders i don't know i don't know what you experience i don't know what it's been for you i only know what it's been like for me and i try and use what information i have to to relate as best i can it's a challenging intersection and i think that's where we get caught up because i lived for a while in the south and It was not as open-minded as living in the Pacific Northwest has been. And there's a lot of really awesome things about the South. But there is a lot more what I recognize to be as bias. And I'm not sure. There's probably a multitude of reasons for this. But I think there was just, within my friend group specifically, I recognize there was a, a lack of willingness to even educate yourself on things outside of your circle or outside of what you've been experienced or, and I think for bias to, to develop into tools that could potentially be helpful for you to, to be more self-aware and more, more able to connect with other people. It's, it's got to be a, an I can't really think, and maybe you could give me an example of where bias is a positive thing.
1: Well, I think there's, um, yeah, there's, I know there's books, there's at least one book I know from the, I think it was the 80s or something like that, that tried to make the argument that, you know, bias can be a good thing. I don't know that it's a good or bad thing. It just kind of is what it is, frankly. Um, one thing I think was kind of interesting to bounce off what you said is that, you um, I think based on our own experiences, we still um, um, we still make these judgments. Even though we have like vast experiences and such, or um, either through talking with people or through travel or whatever, um, it's still a biased because it's coming from us. Is it prejudiced per se? I don't know. Um, I think it's more informed. Um, cause I think prejudice is kind of a big word and it's kind of hard. Um, the one thing I think is important to know is that we do not have any control over how people feel. And when, when somebody says you make me feel a certain way, then it divests the ownership of your brain to somebody else. I think it's more precise to say I feel this way based on this interaction because I think that allows the person to take ownership of their own feelings Um, and I mean there are common things that would offend most of us and I think again that's you know group speak I mean that's why we have cuss words you know that everybody kind of identifies that those are the bad things or you kind of avoid these kind of subjects, you know, at the dinner table or something like that. But can we get rid of bias? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's just like trying to have an objective experience in life when life is 100% subjective, it's 100% subjective and it's not going to be anything but that. Um, I think it could be more informed. Um, I, I hate to use the word, but I was kind of triggered with your word ignorant. Because I think that to me, in my mind, in my experience, that's kind of stupid, almost willful in a way, even though I know the definition of the term is just a lack of knowledge. You know, um, I think um, I like to use the, the uh, term, I don't know about that, but I can find out. Because what that does it it reeks of confidence frankly because I, I know what I know and I know what I don't know and I don't know about that so I'll find something out about it you know and I think that is
0: oh I would never refer to myself well, as
1: ignorant yeah not
0: not with that word it's kind of a it has a little bit of a negative tone to it but yeah no yeah, I, I digress. <laughs>
1: sorry I but. um. I mean that's just my opinion about it um, because I think um, I mean maybe that's my trigger because I've gone my whole life trying to not be ignorant. You know what I mean and whatever that means. So um, I do like you know the messaging that every day is an opportunity to learn something. You know you you can teach new tricks to old dogs kind of thing. I think you know those kinds of things help with um, foster curiosity really. Um, and I think that is, you know, mitigates any sort of prejudicial bias per se, but I don't think we're ever going to get rid of our own personal bias. Um, definition wise, going back to anchoring bias, I mean, that's basically, you know, we see some information and think that's absolutely true. So the first thing we see is the truism. And from there, everything else is compared to, which is true. But I think, again, it takes some insight to recognize that, yeah, that's just in our experience. It's anecdotal. It's just in our experience, which I think social sciences are really helpful because then it kind of uh, alleviates us from, you know, one person's perspective to a group thought.
0: Well, I definitely think it's a good opportunity if you find yourself in a group that do mirror a lot of the thoughts or background that you have that is a great place to break down some of these bias there's a quote it's the dunning-kruger effect where it it occurs when people with a low level of non- knowledge in a given domain overestimate their knowledge or ability the self-serving bias is the tendency to attribute successes to one's actions and attributes or failures to external circumstances so biases. Directly impact our ability to make these decisions within our life. in In our society, we have active active means to prevent these bias biases from impacting like a workplace. Um, you know, like fair fair labor and hiring opportunities, and different things to kind of create more diversity and opening up. Places and people to engage with a more diverse range of individuals rather than it being a predominantly white male dominated work environment. There's efforts to increase women, increase people of different ethnicities. So I I know that the conversation is very, very present. It's building momentum. I find myself always falling on the, the defensive side, of course, because the hardship is knowing you have bias and not meaning any anything by it not having any ill intention with it not feeling rigid to these things and being open to to admitting the fact that because I feel like it's it's passed down it's taught I don't know exactly where these things were handed to me what situation it was provided that my brain said I'm going to collect that categorize that and use that for future reference because it appears you don't have a lot of information on it you know it's it's funny i think our i our brains are really interesting and i think that's why i have always loved psychology and neuroscience and just mental health and awareness in general but it's interesting being offended by some of the things that i'm i'm learning about and being offended because it's true being offended because i carry with me these things that in a, a broader term, would be a thinking error.
1: Well, I th- you know, it, 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 it requires just insight, which I think is kind of hard to come by. And I think that, um, you know, when we do surround ourselves with like-minded people, then I think then it becomes less, uh, less important to challenge what we think about because there's a lot of people who kind of can uh, validate our experience. Through uh, seemingly having similarities with the group, you know, Um, again, I think it's really hard to challenge ourselves all the time, putting ourselves in difficult situations. I mean, going to, I mean, just for instance, going to a party, say with 20 or 50 people that you don't know a single person there. That is hard work. That is a lot of hard work because you basically, what do you do? You scan the room, you try to find somebody, you know, based on what you're thinking right now, that looks like, oh, that person might be able to talk to me or, uh, you know, likewise in the group, it's, it's like very cliquish, you know what I mean? People have a tendency, to, oh, I know you, so I'm going to hang out with you. And therefore it looks like I can't talk to anybody else. So the odd person out, you know, has less of a way to come into it. course that's why you know they serve alcohol just to get everybody's social inhibitions down and such but i think um um it it is challenging but i do think it is important for each of us to just um you know take some time to challenge how we think about things i think you know um having exam living an examined life is important i think you know Looking at what we do and how we think about things on a regular basis to challenge that is very important. And the way we do that is to interact with other people, you know, and to have new experiences, get out of our comfort zone. Uh, You mentioned something before about, you know, when you lived in the South, I mean, it sounded kind of biased, frankly, because I don't think you met everybody in the South to make that judgment. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not calling you on it. I'm just saying... And I think maybe more precise would be, you know, it's just in our experience in my experience and such and approaching everybody just as a human. I love the fact that people are instead of calling you, you know, he, she or anything like that. But it's just like you're a great human because I don't think anybody can really argue with that, you know, because that's what we are. That's our common thread. And then when we go from there, then everything is just accoutrements or chattel or whatever that we're carrying.
0: I definitely agree. I, I mean, I the tendency to kind of speak without thinking about what we're saying is a big part of this subject. I think as we we are more intentional with what we're saying, then we'll be able to filter out some of these otherwise offensive or unfiltered bias biases that You know, and and my reference to the South, you know, I caught that in the moment and then I tried to curb it to be like, well, that's just my social circle that I was encountering. That was just the people that I was around. It certainly was not everybody. I was in the South at that time, so that would include me also. So, you know, broad categorization of anything to judge any large population or any population like that is going to have, I think, some aspect of a bias involved. And that, that's a hard thing to acknowledge, but it's true. Go back a bit to what you were saying about going to a party and gravitating towards those that maybe look like you or dress like you. Makes me think a lot about safety, feeling safe, you know, reducing levels of vulnerability. And I don't necessarily think that that's a, a thing that's going to work is to gravitate towards people who look or act like you, dress like you. I don't think that that is going to keep you safe at all. But I think it's a a very basic tool that we've developed to provide that, you know, to not be shot down or dismissed or or find ourselves in a place that we are rejected. I I feel like if we're not so defensive and maybe are acknowledging some of our layers of our fears that we carry with us. There's a there's a quote it's um we fear what we do not understand and what we do not understand we try and destroy. I'd have to look that up who's that from, but I think there is a natural tendency to to not not be drawn towards the unknowns. And if we can be a little bit more open, I think that that will help. Accountability is going to be I I think a a huge tool maybe being able to say an apology when apologies are due. You know, I've been in the situation where I've said things that were unintentionally um, carried with them a bias and carried with it maybe a level of prejudice even without any intention. And I was completely unconscious of it until it was brought to my attention. I, um, within myself, had to come and apologize and I will forever carry these situations. They are very profound and to me. In my time this happens, I, it deepens me. But it definitely takes a lot of vulnerability and accountability to come to somebody, apologize, not try and justify. And I think that helps other people feel seen as well. If you offend somebody, hopefully they don't get too upset because, again, yeah, we're not re- responsible for their emotional response but if if they're trying to educate you that what you said is offensive and hurtful then that's a great space to to grow
1: again that takes a lot of insight it really does it really does and it takes a lot of curiosity and a lot of time so um And it does set up this emotional regulation of sorts because I think, you know, to use the party analogy again, I think the most uh, uplifting thing that you can do is go up to the person who you fear the most, in a situation like that. I mean, of course, the setup is that everybody's at a party to have a good time or, you know, in a, in a space that, you know, people are going for, um, you know, fun of sorts. I would challenge everybody to just go up to the person that they find the most uh, challenging or the most intimidating and then strike up a conversation. Because if you don't um, have a good experience, then, you know, there's no love loss, frankly, because you didn't know the person to start with. Um, Being in mental health for as long as I have, I I challenge myself to do that. I've done that with uh, great results. And it really pushed the limits to the point where it just seems like, um, you know, it just reinforces that people are people, you know, we're all just trying to get along. We're all just trying to, you know, ease through life, have a good time, um, and avoid pain, frankly, and avoid fear and such. So, um, I think challenging ourselves in that respect and then challenging our thoughts, I think is just very, very helpful. Um, But again, it takes a level of comfort. I think when we're fearful, we kind of batten down the hatches and just think what we think we have to think about. Um, So I think a lot of times, you know, maybe biases and prejudice are perpetuated by constant fear states. So maybe the role or the goal is to um, calm down, relax. You know, get our limbic system so it's not fired up all the time so we think everybody's out to get us. Um, And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of messaging in our society that kind of paints whole populations or racial groups or gender groups or something like that as a huge threat to our autonomy. You know, I think um, that's overstated. I think it's used in a a manipulative sort of way um, to foster ignorance or foster, uh, fear, you know, um, which is too bad, which is really too bad. I mean, it's of course easy for you and I to say this because we're calm. We're sitting here just chatting. There's no assaultiveness. We're not being threatened or anything like that. So I think with a calm limbic system, I think it's easier to challenge these beliefs and such. Um, but that being said, you know, it's like, um, you know, the basic needs, we have to fulfill those first. And then I think we, we can achieve a path of enlightenment.
0: I really love to hear about how you implement the knowledge and tools that you've acquired in your experience in mental health of how you apply that in in your street clothes. <laughs> I I think that that is, I don't know, it just really is very empowering. And I think that though hearing that you consciously put yourself out of your comfort zone to do those kinds of things and find yourself probably really pleasantly surprised on the level of compatibility with this stranger or um, mysterious group of people. And I think with more experiences, that's where we find ourselves really accepting to dismiss the biases that we carry with us and encounter those unknowns. There is one other type of bias that I find very interesting. And I experience, um, I find myself engaging with it a lot, which is confirmation bias. So basically, it is as it sounds, where it's, we look for, our brain has a tendency to search for or focus on information that supports what we already believe. So, you know, uh, what would a good example of that be? You know, if you go see a, a psychic, and they tell you some kind of loose information, but you direct it towards yourself in these profound situations, because you're looking for that, that confirmation within that information probably the same thing with how we engage with the news. We'll probably dismiss some information and first time we hear something that supports a belief that we already had, it's a I knew it situation. So, I've always I f- I feel like that the confirmation bias is an interesting bias that impacts the way that we take in information ongoing. I think I'm, co- I'm constantly looking for more information and I don't mind it when co- I get a confirmation on that information, but I don't want to particularly be searching for that exclusively, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, to you know, um, challenge that, I think, is, again, it's a lot of work. I think the confirmation bias, it just makes me think of when I had a red car all I could see was other red cars. You know what I mean? It was just like, Oh, I'm kind of in the club because I've got a red car. Oh, you got a red car. Look, look at your red car. Look at my red car. Look, 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 you know, and it, it just, you kind of see red cars everywhere, you know? And I think that's a brain issue, honestly speaking, because it just, uh, we kind of look for things that uh, reinforce how we think about things and um, Um, and it's unconscious, I think from a large perspective, but, um, uh, you know, we, uh, justify it just based on, you know, our quote unquote interest, whatever that is. Um, and yeah, I think we do seek validation. I think that's a natural sort of tendency that we like to feel like we belong. We like to feel heard. And I think, um, having other people or other situations kind of confirm how we feel feels great. I mean, I go to professional meetings, um, you know, as part of continuing education and I, I don't know everything or by any stretch of the imagination, but after being in the field for 20 years, I mean, there's not a lot of new things out there. So a lot of times these meetings are just like, Oh yeah, that sounds okay. I'm on the right track sort of thing. So it's a confirmation of sorts. And a validation that the kind the way I'm thinking about things in a professional perspective just seems to jive with the community that I've chosen. Of course, there there's a bias in of that because you know these meetings aren't everywhere. It doesn't allow for everybody to come into it's it's biased because it's a a professional society that's very limited and such. Um, But I agree with you. We we seek out things that help us confirm our existence, you know, ultimately I think, you know, quote unquote enlightenment or whatever that is, is just being okay with what we think about and just having some sort of mechanism in place where we can uh, not just drop kick and have these uh, judgments or when we do have these drop kick reflexive judgments to just challenge them. You know, as we're walking down the street, we see somebody and we're like, Oh no, or, ooh, that person looks whatever, fill in the blank. I think, again, approaching it as a quote-unquote enlightened person is to just see, oh, that's a human being. I wonder what that human being is all about. But again, that requires a level of safety, not being triggered from uh, trauma, per se, because, I mean, trauma is terrible because it, it really shakes up our entire view of the world because it screws up our nervous system you know everything becomes a threat everybody becomes a threat and then you try to make sense of it oh everybody with a red hat becomes a threat because the you know the red hat person was the person that perpetuated something on me you know and our brain just kind of does that so i think it is a little easy to talk about challenging our own thought processes when we're calm when we're calm so what do we do we have to you know work on Chilling out, find some way to, you know, calm down our nervous system uh, because we know it works better when we're irritated and anxious and angry. I mean, I'd go so far to say that's a pro-inflammatory state and that screws up everything. I mean, if nothing else, it screws up our stress hormones. When we're enraged or we're anxious, there's, you know, our cortisol's all screwed up. And when our cortisol's high, it's in response to stress. And when we're stressed out, I don't think we make, you know, we make snap, snap judgments because we have to because, it's, you know, in times of stress, it's life and death. Um, so I think achieving some sort of um, peacefulness, uh, relaxation, um, health, I mean, call it whatever you want to do. But I think when we can kind of slow down how we think about things, then I think it affords us the luxury to just you know, be curious, to question, to have questions about people who we don't know about. Um, And it also has to do with just means. I mean, we have to have the ability to be invited to parties. We have to be able to host parties or go to parties and such. So that requires a level of, you know, complications that I don't think um, a lot of people access right away. You know, it's something we build towards.
0: It sounds like, honestly, that a bias is just very, very complex, and for most of us, we do come with traumas, validation issues, concerns about safety, acceptance, maybe um, not fully developed abilities to be accountable or self-aware, and I think if we are able to slow down and assess, why am I triggered, emotionally regulate that response. And then address what's at the core of that. Oh, I'm offended because of this, because I had this situation when I was a teenager. It provides a lot of insight into why we might be in that heightened state and then engage with the situation differently than if we didn't take that time to address. Now that it takes a level of enlightenment, but I think if you're here listening to this podcast, that's something that you already probably hopefully want to do. But as an ongoing effort, if you are engaging with people and you are continue to dissect this because now that we've started this conversation, I'm realizing that this is not a single episode discussion. That <laughs> <laughs> this is so deep and highly nuanced and you know, I I, I personally think about the vastness of individuals I know and how I try and be tender because they come and I know that they have traumas. And I, one of the things that I've, you know, I have my own traumas and I, one of the tools that I practice, and I'm not sure if it's healthy. I haven't talked to a therapist about it, but one of the tools that helps me to be um, more kind in my interactions is I assume that they also have trauma. And I don't want you to have trauma, but I assume that you do. And I try and be compassionate. And that level of compassion puts us on the same level. It helps me to listen versus have my own internal chatter go on and on while you're talking. And being present with you while you're talking allows me to truly get to know you and assume the best as best I can. So Well,
1: assume is a trigger word for me um because i think
0: yeah i've got a list of those for you
1: my pre- <laughs> my personal preference is again i mean just to, to summarize this i don't think we can get away from bias i think uh, the best we can do is to uh recognize where these prejudices prejudices come from um and try to address them by chilling out and being curious and the only way to do that, I mean, it's, it's multifold. So that requires confidence uh, in ability as well as thought. Um, and it also requires uh, environmental aspects so that it's, we're not coming up from a place of active trauma. Um, but I think when our, you know, it's like any machine, when things run smoothly, then I think it's much easier to evolve. Um, So, of course, that requires insight, know thyself, Um, uh, understand how we work, Um, understand what uh, our true interests are, be authentic. Um, And I think all that lends to a level of confidence, which allows our brain to just be calm so that we can approach every situation with a level of curiosity instead of bringing all our baggage and presupposing and prejudging and such which again, just takes a lot of work. It just takes a lot of work, but I think we're all worth it, frankly.
0: I think that's a great a great way to close this chapter for now.
1: I agree. And it is, it is interesting that we get the ball rolling and then an hour's gone by. We're works in progress. We'll keep working on it. So I think until next time, we'll keep working.
0: <laughs> all right, I'm on board for the challenge.